and welcome to the Novel Traveller podcast. My name is Michelle Walsh-Jackson and I'm the Novel Traveller. This week I've been very busy promoting a fundraising event that I'm involved with with the wonderful Cork-based charity The Hope Foundation. I will be speaking at a virtual book club event on March the 18th about my new book Journey to the Heartland. To join me and to apply for this event it costs only 10 euros and you can find all the details on my website thenoveltraveller.com. This week I'll also be speaking to Pori Gorenya who brings people around the Gaeltacht on his famous Connemara pub tours. This summer he's launching a new tour company called secretconnemara.com so do stay tuned for what he has to say. But my main guest this week is the literary editor of the Sunday Independent, Madeleine Keane. Madeleine is also an award-winning travel writer and her love of both books and travel means we have much to talk about. You can read her diary every week in the Sunday Independent and she's also been teaching travel writing in UCD so do check out her website madeleinekeane.com if you want more information. But for now, sit back, relax as we go on this week's Novel Travels. Madeline, it is lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Lovely to be here, Michelle. Great to see you again after all these years. Absolutely. Yes. We're due a catch up because, of course, we did spend a lovely press trip together, didn't we? It must be about six years ago now in Wales. That's right. It was a centenary of Dylan Thomas. And uh, so we went off to Swansea uh, and Larne in search of him. I mean, you know, a wet weekend in Wales may not sound very exciting, but it was wonderful. I mean, especially if you adore writers. And and you remember our last stop before we, we got went to the airport was his grave there in Larne with the wonderful... Oh, I do. I do. It was very simple. Yeah, but it was it was it was very poignant, and I find that when we do go to graves, writers' graves, I was with w, I was up at uh, Sligo in WB Yeats' uh, grave this year. You know, it just kind of touch you. Uh, you know, you get some sense of oh my gosh, they're here. You know, you can feel the essence of them. So there's something lovely and poignant about visiting, you know, a site where an author or a writer you love has has lived. I think that's what was so special about the trip. It was you know because do you remember we went to his the house in which he was born and in his little bedroom, which they had preserved exactly, you know, because he lived there till he was in, well, certainly in late teens. And you, it was just, it was really compelling. <laughs> it, it was a wonderful it was, trip. It was quite moving. And and you arrived a little bit later, Madeline, and, and you missed out on Cardiff Castle, which I have to say still stands out in my mind as a remarkable building and an achievement to build this, you know, it was, it's kind of the, the pinnacle of Victorian kind of flamboyance and prowess um, owned by the Marcus of Butte. And, 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 you know, I feel we're at a pivotal time at the moment with this big change to technology. And he kind of represented the old age of coal and Victoriana and everything like that. So it's kind yeah. of, uh, yeah, I, I think these are interesting times for us all. Oh, well, they're certainly interesting, Michelle. <laughs> 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 It's great that everybody's reading, though. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the um, the first question I'm just going to ask you is to recall your first holiday memory, whether it was a family memory or it was to go and stay with somebody. Uh, you know what stands out for you? I remember as a very small child going to Wexford. That's where we seemed to go when we were we were small. 
And I do remember being being on the beach with my younger brother and sister um, and, and my mother in, uh, and playing in the sand. I do remember that. We went to Wexford a lot, quite a lot, actually. And uh, in fact, I remember one year we took a house and um, quite near it was this wonderful place called Esker Lodge, which was a and b but they also did food. And I mean, it was mostly my, my parents went there once or twice, but I remember as children, we, we visited it and it was run and owned by Mary Bow, who oh, went on to do the legendary Marlfield House. Uh, and I remember at the time, even though I was young, I was maybe 10 or so, and the food to her, the bread and everything was, was stunning. So yeah, that's, that's an early memory. Oh, lovely. Yeah, no, I love Wexford. I'm half a yellow belly myself. <laughs> My dad's from Wexford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's a great connection between Dublin and Wexford, I always feel, anyway. And, and that, I think, will continue even more so now with people staycationing. And um, wh- where would you tell your 18-year-old self to go? You know, if you had the knowledge and the, the experience now. I suppose looking back, I would say go to America um, then, I mean, maybe not now. It's it's a very difficult place now. But certainly, I think if I'd gone to the States, I think it would have changed my life. I won't say for good or ill, because who knows? But I do think it represents extraordinary or did drive an opportunity. It won't go. I mean, of course, it'll, it'll integrate. There's a new leader in there now. But it always, to me, has represented such... Um, opportunity and scope, uh, its vastness, the very different, you know, landscapes and countries within it, as it were. Um, And I just think for a young person, it it shows all the things you can do and, and how, you know, if you have drive and a little bit of talent even, but if you're prepared to work hard, there's so much you can achieve. I mean, the, the, you know, the American dream, and I think, and, you know, it shows the value of that. Which, which, which states would be your favourite in America? Um, well, I do adore New York, uh, I have to say. Um, Boston, Boston is yeah. another absolute favourite of mine. Yeah, um, me too. I love Boston. Absolutely adore. It was the first city I visited in America. And because there's such a close European link and there is a lot of history there. Now, they're very old buildings and with cobble streets it's quite a different um city compared to most other large cities in america i think yes it's um it is it has that sense of sort of in a way victoriana almost in some some of its buildings i actually only got there for the first time that was on my list for a long time uh, do you remember the marathon with that awful oh the bombing bombing yeah and we that was april of when it was about seven years ago and we were visiting in on the 4th of July actually we arrived on the 3rd of July and it was it was sort of eerie to go around the city because uh, you sense that something huge had happened and it had only happened sort of three or four months earlier obviously and but they were all wearing t-shirts saying you know Boston proud and and because it was the 4th of July then, we went for dinner and cocktails on a rooftop um, hotel, the Paul Revere Bar, I remember it. And we were due to see fireworks, but at the la- and we were told that was the best spot. And we were, it was part of a press trip. So, you know, we were being you know, well looked after and everything. So we were told that was the place to watch so you'd get the best vantage um, point from this, the top of this tower of, the, of a hotel. 
But in fact, at the last minute, they moved it for security concerns. Um, it, deliberately, they, they had planned this all along. They said, we're doing it in one place, and then they moved it. We did still manage to see it. But it was fascinating. It was a very fascinating time to be there because you could pick up the sadness in the city, but yet the extraordinary resilience. And I suppose that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Um, you, you know, in the face of... Um, of adversity, uh, yeah, the way they, they do bounce back. You saw that with, with the, you know, the 9-11. You know, they have exceptional resilience and courage, which is which are two very important qualities. I think we're seeing at the moment how we have to dig deep and find them. But a lovely postscript to it was we went to Nantucket. That was part of the trip. Oh, which fabulous. is a gorgeous little island. And of course, in my other life, I'm a, when I'm not being a travel writer, uh, I have a great love of, of books. I work as literary editor, as you know, and um, it, it's kind of where Moby Dick was set. And there was a great history of whaling there. And in fact, I went to a whaling museum one day and there was a docent there and she gave the most marvellous um, talk about whaling. And, and I mean, because it was so vital and huge, the most important industry uh, in the, back in the day there. I mean, it's how they all lived. And these the tales of, you know, these youngsters going off on boats in very dangerous uh, conditions. It was re really fascinating. So I got the best of both worlds because I got a sort of a taste of Cape Cod on the beach and then and then Boston with all its its very rich history. Yeah. And, you know, those beautiful houses as well with the um, with the turrets and they call them widow's watches. Isn't that right? Was there the, right, the, yes. the, the wives used to be watching, hoping the sailors would would return. Um, I had a wonderful trip there with my son a couple of years ago. We went up to Salem during October and the entire month of October is kind of given over to Halloween and prep and the idea of witches. And oh, it, uh, there's so much to see and do in Boston. It's quite it's quite and Massachusetts. Sorry, it's such a great, great state. Lots, lots to offer <laughs> and even skiing in winter, I believe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, the, the, that's one of the best parts. What about what, anywhere else in America, particularly that resonated with you? Um. We spent a lovely, um, bizarrely, because I've always had Christmas at home, but one year, about six years ago, the family um, decided we'd go to Key West for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know why, what that was all about. Um, so it was about <laughs> I'm sure it was about sun. Well, the sun was certainly part of the agenda, but um, it was absolutely so wacky and wonderful. I mean, it took a long time to get there. It was about three flights. That was a bit exhausting. And we got, rented this beautiful house with a pool. So it was it was totally different. I mean, I'm a t real traditionalist when it comes to um, things like Christmas, but it was just so off the wall and different and fascinating. And of course, Hemingway spent a lot of I time. I was just we going to ask you, I was just going to ask you, did you pay homage to him and go to his house? <laughs> we went to his house and the, 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 the ten-fingered cats or whatever they're called, they're still there. And that was really uh, riveting to be there. Again, another literary place where you can feel the, the presence of, of the writer. So, um, yeah, so, so Florida, I found it very attractive. I mean, we only had a week and we kind of stayed in Key West. I'd have liked to have done more exploring of the Everglades. And uh, I did go back then to Florida a couple of years later on a press trip and we went to the sort of the panhandle, the, the northern part of the state, which isn't as well known. And that was really, that was a brilliantly fun, you know yourself, Michelle, oh, absolutely. how fun those press trips can be. <laughs> 
I know it, it, it is great. And you're meeting different people. It's like going on holidays with just people who have the same interests as you. And you could really throw yourself into the experiences and the activities, can't you? Yes, it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, as I say, it's not a place that's, you know, it's certainly in Ireland where kind of we know the Keys, we know of, you know, Orlando and Miami, but this part it, it isn't that well known. And uh, it was fabulous because one thing I'm never mad about in the States is food, is their food. I never think it's great. The food there was fantastic and the people were fabulous. Um, so warm, that Southern charm and warmth and hospitality. Yeah. And we did some really fun things. Um, you know, like we were, <laughs> I learned how to paddleboard and I thought, now, aren't I great? So we did it. They practiced with us on dry land first. We all got our surfboards. And I was kind of, you know, there's a lot of young journalists in their 20s and 30s. And then me, mummy. <laughs> and uh, I thought, now, I've got to hold up, hold my own amongst these youngsters, you know, the surfing. And they'll be brilliant at it. So we did the practicing. And I was very confident because I do love the water. I swim. I'm one of those mad sea swimmers all year round. Oh, excellent. And, and so anyway, we went then to the lake, all having taught, been taught how to stand up and not fall off and all the rest of it. And we go to the lake with our surfboards. And to my alarm, I see a sign that says, watch out for alligators. No and way. I, say, I haven't signed up for this. Is this? <laughs> I just have to do this. So anyway, I, I did, I, you'll be glad to hear I didn't fall in. Obviously, I'm oh, still here. Oh, my goodness. And, and that must be the worst thing that, that happened to you on, on holiday when you discovered that. Well, it was actually terribly funny. It was yeah. very funny. We all just said, like, this can't be for real. And uh, I, the teacher was wonderful. Um, I, in my article, I called him Mr. YOLO because his company, he rented out the surfboards, was, was, was YOLO. You only live once. I love these characters I love and you have to go out into you know the lesser known parts of states to meet these people because they are crazy and they are fun and they really know and are passionate about what they do whether it's showing you how to you know make a kayak or how to feed an alligator or whatever aren't they so passionate Absolutely. And they've made it their their life's kind of mission. And as a result, I mean, they're doing something they love. So they're so laid back and happy and serene, you know, just delightful. And then another part of it was in one of the towns, I can't remember where, um, they wanted us to do a tour, a kind of a historic tour of, of the place. And we did it on segways which was hilarious. This new company that had been set up and they rented out Segways and um, the guide was a, a bit of a history buff. So we'd segue from one you know, point to another and then we'd stop and you know, he'd give us a bit of a history of the museum or whatever part of town we were in. And it was just mad, but very, very fun. I have a confession to make. I was on a lovely tour of Philadelphia and I was meant to go on a Segway tour, but it was straight after lunch and there was this IPA special brewery tasting beforehand. And when I got up on the Segway, I, could, I just couldn't stay on it. I'd obviously had more tasting than I realised. that I missed my opportunity with the Segways. <laughs> well, funny enough, the last stop on the, they obviously do this, they make a, a custom of this because the last stop on our Segway tour was a craft beer. Oh, 
where we all indeed had a couple of craft beers. So I, I think we did it in the right order, Michelle. I think you did. I think you did. This is why I missed. I still. And then I slept it out for for a segue experience of the Titanic water in Belfast. So maybe third time lucky. Then in the next segue tour, I'll actually. Make oh, you have to do it because it is. It is very it, fun. It it's looks, great fun, and it's actually quite easy. In fact. Yeah, it looks great fun. Looks great. And so they are definitely funny experiences. What is your worst travel experience then? Um, Well, it's neither the worst nor the strangest, but it was very um, difficult and rewarding um, and uh, upsetting was going to Uganda. Um, I was for many years involved and still am to a lesser extent in PLAN, which is the International Children's Charity. In fact, I was a founding member of the the Irish branch here. And as part of it, I went on a field trip. And the way they work is through child sponsorship. So I went to meet my... um, Little little boy Solomon, my, my 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 son, as I called him, and in the that was in the rural part of of Uganda. So while the conditions were very poor and you know um, very different, I mean they literally lived in a mud hut. Uh, so it was tough. We brought them footballs and crayons and everything. It was very moving and, and meeting them. It was, it was lovely. But when we went to Kampala the capital, to see the urban poverty. It was very, very disturbing to see the conditions they lived in. I mean, it doesn't equate with seeing it on TV or reading about it, to actually see where people live and how they live. And the field worker told us about um, a woman who was a single mother with two daughters and she was dying of AIDS and she was living in a latrine. Oh my goodness. And oh. these things do scar you. They are, well, scar you, I say, in a in a positive way, in that you just say, there's a whole other terrible world out there. And it's so important to, to know about it. Yeah. And I, I teach travel writing up at UCD, and we do a class on the ethics of travel writing. And one of the things we talk about is so-called slum tourism. And is it right to do this, to visit the shanty towns of South Africa and see how, how people live? I mean, I think, yes, if you're prepared to be educated by it and you're not looking at it and approaching it, not to be voyeuristic about it, if you're doing it for yes. a good reason. And indeed, I, I wrote a big piece about it. And we need to be aware of, of, of um, what's going on. And, you know, this is the 21st century. We're in the 21st year of the 21st century what's going on like how why are people living like this and and, you know travel is great for that for opening your mind and for really having some sort of empathy and sense of the world it it changes your views I think on the world and on how you you see things and as you said you and it does scar you definitely and hopefully in a good way though to do to do something about it yeah yes well I thought well what can I do apart from I you know sponsor this little boy but you know, well, my skill, I suppose, is writing. And uh, so I, I wrote a, bit, a big piece about it. And uh, you, but it, it, the thing is, you become aware of it. And awareness is so important in, in you know, in life to, to just to just to know what's going on and just to and to have to have visited it and to actually see it. I've, I've never forgotten it. That's about 20 years ago, but I've never, ever forgotten it. And I never will. 
Yeah, I, I felt the same actually in Morocco around the souks. There was an old man selling coal with a with a you know an old Wayne scales like you'd see like the Libra sign, just just really really, and he was top to toe in cotton. He was literally wearing a sack, and underneath was a hovel where there was a family living, and they just kind of peeked out. And and I have been stranger and and more poverty stricken places like in Soweto and and that since, but that image stayed with me. It was probably the first time that I saw something like that. And um, we do have to appreciate, you know, how lucky most of us are. And, and, and then what we can do is the next thing, you know? So, uh, well, anyway, on a lighter note, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, I know we can't go anywhere at all, but um, without beyond our 5K, if you could be anywhere, where would you love to be right now? Well, my favorite place in the whole world is well, France, but Paris specifically. In fact, I think I'm French. Um, <laughs> Maybe the past life. <laughs> well, well, actually, this is, is, is strange. Here's strange for you. Uh, my parents went on their honeymoon to Paris, and I arrived exactly nine months later. Are you, oh, so I was there you go. Paris, and when I went, <laughs> you should get a T-shirt, Madeline, made in, or on your handbag. <laughs> Yeah, no, but when I went there for the first time, we were going on holidays, the family, we drove to Rosslair and then we, into Le Havre, and we drove all the way down to the south of France, but we went through Paris and they, they got hopelessly lost, my parents, they, they just, anyway, so, um, and we, so we were man, we were in the centre of Paris, we seemed to drive around in circles, but anyway, I remember absolutely having my breath taken away. This is one of the that I've never seen anywhere. This is absolutely beautiful. Well, it was the first place I'd been. I had been to London, but I and it's my first time in, you know, yes. continentally. Yeah. And but there was something very familiar about it, mm. which does sound odd, I know, but mm. it's in my DNA somewhere. I just adore the place beyond life. I mean, I want to live there. And in fact, I did, um, I got a bursary to the CCI, the Centre Culturel Hollandais. And uh, I spent a month there a couple of years ago, the month of August doing a language bursary because I wanted to spend time there living as a resident, as a citoyenne, if you like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. working and living. And, so every morning I'd cross the Jardin de Luxembourg to go to the, the Cato, as it was known, the Catholique Institute, where we learned, our, we did our lessons. Part of the language bursary was that you did three hours of French every morning. Now, I studied French at college and I've been going to France all my life. So I've actually quite good French, but I wanted to get it really as, as good as possible. And, you know, if, if having to do three hours of French lessons every morning was the price of staying in Paris for, you know... No hardship. <laughs> It was no hardship. But so I do that every morning. And then in the afternoon, I was often working, in fact. I was there kind of, I always feel I was there living as a, as a almost a French person. And I'm, I'll definitely go back and, and do that again. I think to really get to know a city, particularly one that you you adore, uh, to get to know it really inside out. And what about, the rest, the, way of, to do it. What about the rest of France? Are there any special places that are kind of off the beaten track or that people mightn't go to that, that you have found that are, are beautiful in France? Well, the Languedoc is very special to me. Um, my mum bought a house there about 20 years ago. And so we'd, we'd go down most summers. She was near um, the town of Béziers. 
And I used to say to her, she lived in a, she had a house in a small, uh, very small village. And I used to say to her, this is le vrai France. It's so off the beaten track. Mm -hmm. It's so untouristy. It's just, you could almost like in the little village where, where she had her house, you know, in the mornings, a loudspeaker would come come on and they'd say, a woman would say, you know, the camion de poisson, the fish uh, lorry is coming this morning. And indeed the fish lorry would trundle up to the square and you'd go and you'd buy your fish for that evening's dinner. But I said, you know, I remember saying to my mother, you know, her daughter or her her mother, that girl's mother or grandmother, was probably the woman on the loudspeaker saying the Nazis are coming. Yes. Yeah, you felt that you were in La France Profonde, you know, and while I absolutely adore, I mean, if I could be anywhere now, I'd be in Cap d'Antibes or Cannes or somewhere. I just love the Côte d'Azur. But that is very touristy and it's, you know, it has become a bit sort of a little bit on the bling side these days. But if you want the real France, that, that Languedoc, that, that coastline is lovely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And and you go to these little towns, like especially in, in kind of poor dist- areas like Londes and in the Pyrenees, and you'll come across these little um, guest houses, hotels, and they have a restaurant and you're eating Michelin star quality food for like 12, 15 euros for dinner. I mean, the food is really, really special in France, isn't it? Oh, well, that's one of the major things. I mean, that is absolutely that is the food is fantastic. The wine, the, I mean, they've, they've everything really. It's so physically beautiful. I love the language. I love the sound of the language. I love listening to French people speak. Everything I, I love yeah. about it. My elder sister now has a house down there. She's near Lourdes, actually, near the Pyrenees, sort of. Yeah. About an hour and a half's drive from Biarritz. Near Po, um, maybe is she near Po? Yeah, near Po, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a and good you fly, down. yeah, lovely, lovely down there again near the Pyrenees. And yeah. but there's so many Normandy. I spent a lot of time. I did a couple of exchanges, and I spent a lot of time in Normandy, which is also gorgeous in a in a very different way. That's the thing about Francis. It's, it, so, it, much it's so it's so very and do you know Normandy to me says crepes and cider. <laughs> That's what I always think of when I think of yeah, Normandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I used to go for years to Brittany with my family when I was a teenager to the Inter Celtic Festival in Lorient, and oh. they were the best holidays ever. You, the musicians and the dancers, and my father organised the sports team. My mum organised the art actually because my mum had a gallery in Hoth. So. Uh, that you know these memories and and France is a, is a place where I think a lot of Irish people have a great connection and great memories of. Oh, they they do they do and don't forget as well those lovely little islands like Ile de Ré and Belle Isle, um, just off the coast there. I went I was in Ile de Ré there a couple of years ago and that's very popular with um the Irish and it's it's a tiny little island and it's of course you can drive but a lot of people cycle. So I think a lot of Irish with young families like it because it's very safe. You could just endlessly cycle around the, the place because it's, it's very flat as well and quite small and navigable. Oh, you're making me want to go back there. I hadn't thought of France for a while. <laughs> um, so who would be your ideal um, travelling companion, dead or alive? And I can bring anyone at all with you, Madeline, on a holiday. And you might as well bring them on your bucket, bucket list holiday too. 
Well, I suppose leaving aside the obvious, you know, the family and friends, because I was I was thinking about it. Um, I think ultimately Jan Morris, who only died recently, but one of the great, great, great travel writers. Uh, such a fascinating story in her own right. You know, born in nineteen twenty something in Wales, James Morris. Um, you know, became Jan. You know. Uh, in, in the 70s when it was very, very difficult. And so, but leaving that whole personal side of her life aside, her writing is just so exquisite. Uh, and she's she's so good at, at the different countries she writes about. And I think she, she gets or, or got uh, the whole point of, of travel and why we travel and, the whole beauty of it and the sensuality of it. And there's a passage I te teach in my class from when I'm trying to, you know, explain the, 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 the musicality of language. And she went hiking in Nepal and she fell sick and she was taken in by a Sherpa family. And she wrote the most wonderful essay called Chanri Karka. And it's just two particular paragraphs that I read out in class and each time and I've been doing that for a good few years I I'm moved to tears by just the beauty of the language so I just think but not only that she just was such a superb writer and, and such a fine stylist prose stylist but she just could see um how we are all connected humanity how that different countries are so very different I mean her book on America is extraordinary I just think she'd bring a wealth of, of wisdom and knowledge to it. And having been so many places and written so many books about, about places. So I think she'd be the perfect that, that is Absolutely. And that is the value of travel, isn't it? That is, it's what you take with you. It's what you learn from it. And, and I do recall you, you wrote a beautiful piece about um, uh, a trip you took on a safari with your daughter. And I, there was a, something happened with a giraffe. Did he put his head through the window or something when you were... Oh, yeah. Well, I do have to say Africa at the end of the day is, is the, I mean, France is my favourite place, but I mean, obviously all with the measure that, you know, Ireland, I do adore. Yeah. Um, but there's something about Africa. It gets under your skin. They're right. There is something indefinable about it. And it's as though it has been there. Here is from where everything sprang. It has been here for a very, very, very long time. This is where the world began, is Africa. And I've been to very different places there. Um, South Africa, Uganda, as I mentioned, Kenya. That's where we had the fabulous, um, the giraffe. That was Nairobi, a wonderful place called Giraffe Manor. And it was an English kind of very colonial couple in the 1940s who went out. And they were so, as a lot of English did in, in those days, and they were so kind of, appalled by the plight of the giraffes that they they built this kind of you know sort of lovely Edwardian house in Nairobi and they've a little sort of um giraffe kind of almost little 
sanctuary at the bottom of the garden. But so you can stay there and the giraffes wander up. So you'd be out having your kind of cocktails at sort of six o'clock and they wander up. And in the morning, they put their heads through the windows. It's very, it's quite a well-known place. And um, you can do the giraffe kiss because apparently they, their saliva is antiseptic. So we were told. So Julia, who's completely animal mad, she must have been about 14 at the time. And so the giraffe lent his head in the window and the guide said, you know, and the guide stuck out his tongue and or the giraffe stuck out their tongue and he said, you can touch the tongue with your tongue. And I said, absolutely, yeah. And of course, it was the most gorgeous photograph was produced as a result. Uh, and that was that was wonderful. Of course, going on safari is something else as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. That that total connection, isn't it, with with the planet, with the earth, it, 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 the, the mind mindfulness that's gained from an experience like a safari will we'll stay with you and you can reach back into it if you ever need to. Oh, yeah. You, you never forget it. And in fact, a couple of years ago, I was in Botswana. That's another place I've been. And that was fantastic. Um, so we went out on a sort of an evening drive, an early evening drive at about sort of four or five. And because it was so kind of luxury, this place, and so remote, you could go off road and didn't they find with a, a fantastic guide and he came across, he knew what it, they, they know there's so much of these guides and he came across um, a pride of lions who had caught an unfortunate warthog and they were having dinner and he got close enough that you could actually hear the crunch of bone on gristle, of tooth on gristle. It was quite, I mean, like it's not for the faint hearted. And my vegetarian daughter who's downstairs would be actually losing her life if she was hearing this conversation. But there was something so elemental and profound about it. This happens. This is the natural world. I mean, I felt like I was in the middle of a David Attenborough documentary. Yeah. But it was being able to get right up and close. And you could hear that crunch. I've never forgotten that sound I mean you know that that great quote nature being read in tooth and claw well this was a living embodiment of it mm. and uh, you know it's, it is it is it has it has, it's how it works it is it is and and have you brought back a special memento from anywhere that is very special to you I was thinking a lot about this I mean I'm not a, a massive picker up of things in fact though I'm a desperate magpie as you can see from the state of my office behind me I do have this though which is lovely which you probably won't be able to oh oh is it print or is it an original it's, it's just a print it's um Matisse sorry you should be able to see it there it's um not a Matisse sorry a Marc Chagall Danseuse au Fond Mauve in about 2003, with my two sisters and my mother, we went to Paris, sorry, back to Paris, <laughs> and um, it was a major retrospective of Marc Chagall, and we went to it, and I, every time I go to a capital city, more or less the first thing I do is go to an art gallery. I just adore art galleries with a passion. been one of the first things I do. So um, we were all, we'd all decided, we were all doing a different thing, so I organised that 
one of my sisters organized a fab restaurant. We did anyway, various things, but my thing was organizing this. And there was a just, I love as well about art galleries. I love their shops. I could browse in their shops. I mean, the Metropolitan Museum in New York, their shop. I always think museums are one of the best. Yeah, yeah. And MoMA. get them from those attentive I do bring back stuff it's from there and uh, so I just I wanted a memento of the trip because it was very special it was a, the four of us and um, gorgeous Paris and it was just a very pretty print so I brought it back and I had it framed and, and it's in my bathroom and uh, the, I do remember some the funny thing though about the trip which was unbelievable that one of my sisters who should remain nameless was in charge of booking the hotel someone else did the flights whatever Anyway, we arrived at the hotel and very central, just off the Arc de Triomphe, great. Wasn't it a temperance hotel? Oh, we, we, we do like a glass of wine in our family. Oh my goodness. We just, like, what? and she just, I don't know, she'd gotten confused or she just, I don't know. But anyway, a temperance hotel it was. It was just, it was so mad. Like it's so unusual in Paris, but they love their vino. I know. The same thing happened to me in um, in Dar es Salaam <laughs> in Tanzania, and it was during Ramadan. But um, you know, <laughs> we did find somewhere to go though with cocktails. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So wow. Yeah. No. That, that that I'd say it wasn't funny at the time, but I'm sure there was somewhere around the corner. Oh, well, look, we got over it and it was maybe better for our livers that we couldn't bring back the wine back to the roof. There was no mini bar to raid. And, and where's the best place that you've taken a selfie? I'm not a huge taker of selfies, but um, I did. Uh, I was in Gozo and, the you know, the famous Game of Thrones Sure, just 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 beside Malta, it's, isn't it the little island? It's a sister island in Malta, and Gozo is one of those places where, like, uh, you, your jaw is dropping at the beauty of it. And we stopped at one particular beach, and it was where Calypso in myth kept Ulysses captive, and. You look down at the beach and the sand is actually terracotta in colour and the sea then is turquoise. And then you can see the remnants of this seawall that the knights of old had built to stop people coming in. And I did take a selfie there because I just thought I've never seen anything like this. It's absolutely stunning. Um, Oh, the Mediterranean is lovely. Mm. Where would be your favourite place in Ireland or do you have a secret spot in Ireland that you you kind of recommend or? Well, I mean, it's it's a hard one because I love so much of it. Um, I'm very, very drawn to Mayo. I, I love Mayo and I love the way it's slightly unsung. You know, people think a lot of Connemara and West Cork. Again, places I absolutely love too. But there's something about Mayo that draws me back a lot. Um, a friend of mine had a kind of a shooting lodge just outside Newport. So when the kids were younger, I used to go up there and it was a great place to kind of explore. It's kind of in the middle in a way. It's not far from Ackill and Ackill is so gorgeous. Um, Lewisburg. It's a very, I think, in many ways, undiscovered county. There's a lot to it. And in fact, last summer, you know, we had to stay in Ireland, which is, I think, actually no hardship. Absolutely. Um, and my sister and I decided we'd do a road trip and we went up to Ballina and we stayed in a lovely place called the Ice Hotel. 
Oh, I love that place. It's they, they have lovely little hot tubs out on the river. Moy. Yeah. Foy? Foy Moy. I always Moy. get that mixed up. Moy, Moy. yeah. They're beautiful hot tubs. Yeah. And Absolutely. great food. Superb food. Superb food. And it was just brilliant. And we hired bikes and we went for cycles through the woods there, which are I just believe, straight across. Yeah. Bleak Woods and the castle there. And it was just magical. And we did another, actually, we seemed to do a lot of cycling in Mayo. I remember being there a few years ago. Um, the Greenway had just opened. Oh, it's maybe a decade ago now. And so we got bikes and we cycled from, uh, we went one day from Newport to Mulrani and then another day Mulrani to Ackle. And those Greenways are brilliant. Oh, they're, they're super. Just, and, and they're being developed more and more now. It, yeah it's a great way the Waterford one and uh, there are new ones popping up now all over being planned in the country and it's going to be a real um, addition I think to our um, yeah it's a fantastic way to see the country yeah it really really is and, and you're getting exercise in so that was lovely and Justine wanted to go when we were on the road trip last summer she kept talking about the cage of fields I was just gonna so, yeah did you get up to them so we went up there and beside Dan Patrick and again this breathtaking countryside I mean it was so so beautiful would take the sight out of your eyes and even though I've been going to Mayo a lot over the years I'd never been there I'd, ne- I'd never been up there do you know I haven't been to the cage of fields and I'm dying to go because they are a world-class UNESCO heritage site they're the first yeah. agricultural farmlands really in Europe really aren't they yeah, they are so ancient and and yes, this example of modernity in a way, as you say, the, these farms. And annoyingly, the interpretive centre was closed because of um, the, the pandemic. So, there were, you know, we, that was a shame because we'd like to have seen that. But anyway, look, it was still marvellous to see and Dan Patrick so beautiful and that just rugged coastline that's you just feel you're at the end of the world. Absolutely. Those cliffs. Next stop is Boston. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was amazing. And so then we drove down and stayed in another great favourite of mine, um, the Burren. We, we, we spent a night in Clare and we were en route then to a friend who'd uh, taken a house near Banna Beach in Kerry. And Kerry's a great favourite of mine. I've been going a lot, but I'm more kind of the, the southern part of the, the county, the kind of Evera Peninsula, that sort of area. Um, but this was um, the north of the county, old Banner Beach, where um, Roger Casement landed, actually. And, um, and and that was lovely. So it was a wonderful road trip. And, and it, you know, I, I ended up writing a piece about it for the paper. And, you know, what it showed was the huge variety there is here, not just in landscape and people, uh, but the activities, all the different, there's so much there now, you know, that there's, there, there really of, is. Yeah, we, we are very lucky in this country. We have such variety and choice and uh, the quality of our hospitality industry, I think, is is it's right up there. And we, we've traveled to a lot of different places in the world, but really your beautiful country houses, your, you know, the castles. You know, and you can stay quite reasonably in places like Loch Rin and, you know, in, in Leitrim and, and have a totally unique experience that you won't get in other countries. Yes. And, and I mean, there's so much going on because you've got, you know, beauty, tick, uh, cultural activities, you know, tick, 
the food, we've upped our game so remarkably in food. And then the amount of activities for families, whether it's the Greenway or kayaking or orienteering or wild swimming or whatever it is, there's a massive amount to do. So for all, you know, say we're a small country, we pack some hell of a punch. We really do. And I do think Folger Ireland are to be applauded. And even with, you know, the way they came up with something very clever and very simple. I'd love to be the person who thought up those three magic words, wild, Atlantic and way. I mean, the wild Atlantic way has been with us forever and a day, but like suddenly let's put a label on it. And, but great, because it's brought great tourism to these shores, which we are, which is very important to us. And, you know, even though I know everyone's a bit disappointed, it's unlikely any of us are going to be getting on a plane any day soon. I'm just thinking now, okay, great. Now, where will I go on holidays in Ireland this summer? And like, as I say, though it's small, I don't know where to start if there's so many places I'd love to go. Absolutely. And 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 I hasten to add, you better book it quickly because I think everybody has the same idea. And I know that some oh, properties so. are booking up quite quickly. So yeah, um, yeah. no, I've heard that. I know, I know I'm I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> and how is there somewhere where you're hoping to go this summer? Well, it's kind of I don't know where to start. I mean, so spoiled for choice, you know. Um I, I might sort of, you know, maybe maybe go away, Claire. We only had a night in Clare, and again, driving from uh, the the Burren right down to, to Kerry, we went through a lot of, you know, sort of Lahinch and Milton Malbay and all those places. But we were kind of just driving through, so I'd love to go and explore. Like you could spend a whole week in, say, for example, Clare, and you'd just about scratch the surface. Do you bring a lot of books on your travels or do you take a break from it? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I mean, the most important thing is the books. And actually, I wrote a piece on this years ago. You know, that's my one of my almost more favourite than the holiday almost is actually starting about a month beforehand. The books I'm going to bring. People who say, oh, you know, I, I couldn't lie by a pool on a beach for a week. I'd be so bored. And I say to myself, what's boring about A, reading and B, swimming, like two of life's best activities as far as I'm concerned. And I would read a book a day. On that sort of holiday, I would read a book a day. So I have to be so careful and God forbid if I get stuck without a book because I'm not a fan of Kindle. I mean, worst case scenario, I will because I'd read, you know, the back of the proverbial cornflakes packet. But... Um, <laughs> So I've always met more books than I have clothes because I'm sort of slightly demented that I don't have enough to read. I mean, I just... Less shoes and more books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God, shoes are... No, they're very low down the pecking order. And, and then what about foods? Is there any particular food experience you've had that you'd like to, to tell us that there's a story attached to? I suppose the strangest thing I've eaten is, is ostrich in, in South Africa. Is that strange? Maybe it's not these days. I don't think nowadays. Um, I do try and try everything. I mean, the only thing I would draw the line at is, though I haven't been there, um, Japan, somewhere I'd love to go, is the Japanese puffer fish, which I believe can be potentially fatal. But I am up to try anything. And I mean, I adore all, you know, escargot and all that and, frog's legs and I, I I would try anything and everything and ostrich was fine it was yeah, I think there's sometimes there's more fuss made than there's that isn't truly necessary I, th I think so I could completely agree so is there anything coming up that you're doing that you um 
that, that you'd like to tell the listeners about? I mean, I know we're not traveling, but, you know, there are other things going on. What's going on for, for Madeline? Well, I'm delighted that, um, you know, the one thing that I miss, uh, along with all the Irish books community, and you'll know yourself, is festivals. But I do think they're brilliant um, in the way they're, to use that fashionable word, word, pivoting and going online. So my local festival actually is Mountains to Sea, which is the Dunleary um, Books Festival. So that's coming up the 27th, 28th of March. And they've asked me to interview Max Porter, who's a wonderful uh, writer. Grief is a thing with feathers. Yes. It's his most yes. famous book. And then he's recently uh, written a book, The Death of Francis Bacon. So I'll be interviewing him. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm hoping, you know, a lot of the festivals come back because, you know, I had a few things lined up last year and they just didn't happen for, for obvious reasons. But they are all doing valiant, making valiant efforts and, and putting stuff up online. So then there's a great lineup for Mountains to See. And I'm sure the others will be following suit. So I'm looking forward to that. And then in the books pages, we've expanded. The Sunday Indo has totally revamped its people and it's culture wonderful. section. Wonderful, yeah, absolutely huge now. So much on offer. So I've much more um, room for books, which is great because you can never have enough room for books. Well, you can see from my study the amount of books <laughs> I have. God, absolutely, yeah. and and people are reading more, so it's great. As as one one side of your work has gone down, we aren't traveling, but we're definitely reading more, so that that's great. I would. I mean, the first place I'll get when I can jump on a plane though is London because my elder girl lives over there. And uh, I usually get over to see her a couple of times a year and um, I haven't been. And so, it's so hard. And they've it's just done a renovation on, on their flat. And so I'll be dying to see that. And, um, and of course, London is, that's the first place I went actually, um, my first actual out of Ireland. For our 11th birthday, our parents would, you took us to, you know, that, that was the treat was London. So, um, and yeah, it's, and it's, it's so fantastic. And that's, again, that's somewhere that, to really be, you'd be like a resident, you know, going to the local markets, going to the local library, the theatre, the, the galleries. It's, you really can't beat it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There's so much to see and do. Well, Madeline, it's been absolutely charming talking to you today. You've brought me to lovely places in my, my own memory. And I'm, I'm, when I'll be chopping up my vegetables this evening, making the dinner, I'll be thinking of France and, and all my lovely memories from there. Thank you so much for all your wisdom. And um, I'll tell people to check you out in the Sunday Indo, literary editor. And of course, you've got that fabulous course going on in UCD. Uh, teaching travel writing so uh, thanks so much and I look forward to reading your diary uh, soon thank you Michelle and hopefully we'll go on a press trip together one of these days again oh oh I wouldn't mind that now I'd love that <laughs> chance to catch it. thanks so much Madeline you know chatting with Madeline always brings me back to that wonderful trip we had in Wales and I think Wales is, is a much ignored destination for Irish. I mean, it's only across the Irish Sea. It's really close and there's a lot to offer there. Um, I actually went to Wales for one of my big birthdays with a group of close friends and we went on the longest zip line in Europe. It's actually in Snowdonia National Park and it's called Zip World. It's set in an old quarry and it's really exhilarating and adventurous experience. Not for the faint-hearted, I'll add. But we also came across, which was really quirky and odd, a, a fabulous pirate festival in the, the town of Conway. And Conway has a beautiful castle overlooking a harbour and beautiful little windy cobblestone streets. And it was a completely insane weekend and everyone was wandering around the town dressed up in full pirate gear. 
Great way to spend a weekend with your pals, I have to add. Now, on this week's Elaine show on Virgin Media, we were chatting about the best beaches to go to in Ireland. And I had to do some research about what is happening around one of my favourite beaches in Ireland, which is the Dolene in Carrow. Now, some of you will have been to Carrow in Irish College in, in the past. And I spent a wonderful month there uh, when I was doing teacher training. And this coral beach is really unique in Ireland. So I had to ask an expert from the area, uh, Porig Orania, and he has organised Connemara pub tours for some time now. And he's also launching a brand new website, which is secretconnemara.com. And that'll be happening very soon. So he has some great suggestions for things to do this summer. So do stay tuned. Thanks very much for joining me today, Porig. It's a pleasure, Michelle. It's great. And, you know, I love your part of the country so much. It's just so nice to speak about it. I spent a wonderful month down there um, staying in Carrow some years ago, and you really have the most spectacular scenery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with, with Connemara, I suppose people often associate Connemara with Clifton, Roundstone uh, and North Connemara. And that's probably out of popularity because most people would have ventured there. But there's uh, another part of Connemara where I'm based and live myself is is south or the southwest of Connemara. So anybody that's ever travelled out through Spiddle uh, on the coast road, uh, they'd be familiar with that. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, most people would associate that with going to either to Irish College or, you know, maybe in the past having to do periods of time there uh, while training for, for various courses. So it would be popular, I, I suppose, amongst people that would have come to learn to learn yeah. the language. And one thing that really stood out in my mind from spending a month in the month of June down there is the sun never seems to set. It's almost like you only get about a glimmer of, of a half an hour of darkness. It, it really is stunning down there on the summer night. Yeah, most definitely. I, in the height of summer, you're looking at probably half 11, you know, even later when the when you know, when darkness uh, comes upon us and then from 4 a.m. in the morning, um, the the light, the you know, the spectacular light uh, comes about again. So, yeah, it's great. And uh, there's always, I suppose, a tent of sadness then when the months of kind of September come <laughs> along, we're getting darker. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic because I think where we're located, we're the very southwest Connemara. And, um, you know, it just does has no more than the Iron Islands has so much natural daylight. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's been the inspiration for artists like Paul Henry and so many others, you know, in the past. And, and yeah, it, Charles Lamb, so he was based yeah. in Carroll. Yeah, what a wonderful absolutely. part of the wonderful part of the country. So um, what, what services do you offer with um, Connemara Pub Tours? And I suppose especially Secret Connemara, which you are launching now next yeah. year. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about it first, Michelle. I suppose I, I came up with this idea in 2015. And um, at the time, I just felt that there was, a, you know, a demand or there was a niche there to do kind of tours of Connemara. And I suppose I'd worked in pubs myself, you know, growing up in the local pubs here. And and I, um, I spent a summer after the leading certain in um in England, and I also worked in the Iron Islands. And I saw like the unique characters that you meet in, in pubs, and particularly here in Connemara, where you know everybody wants to know who you are, where did you come from, That's, and oh, what yeah. are you going to do here? 
So, so you know, there's a charm about it. And I sometimes felt that tourists that might be going to the more, you know, commonly known uh, tourist spots were missing that, that link with the local people. So I established it, not really knowing where I was going, just I knew that there has to be a demand for it. So my first customer is actually... I got some leaflets done, done up and I dropped them off to hotels in Galway. And I got five couples from Utah that were driving around Ireland and they were just sick of driving and they wanted a day off. So they, they, yeah. saw, they saw this leaflet in Glenlow Abbey and they booked the tour. So it, we off we went to eat a spectacular day. So from that then it started to grow. And the one market, I guess, that I hadn't really thought of at the time, but it became kind of the main market for me for the first two years was hens and stags. And of course, a lot of them were coming to Galway and they'd be coming for, for a weekend. Sometimes they'd have an activity booked, sometimes they wouldn't. So the pub tours kind of lent itself well to what they were doing because it was, we only stopped at four pubs en route. It was about a five hour trip. Um, so they got X amount of time in each pub. But the most important thing is they engaged with the local people. So then from 2000 and probably 17 onwards, it got really popular with hens and stags. So much so that I was, you know, um, probably having three to four, sometimes five groups on a Saturday. Uh, and of course, then the, the best part of that is they were meeting their fellow hens and stags. And I have some great course, stories. Yeah. I, I remember I remember one in particular where um, I was with the group and they were musicians. They were excellent musicians. But anyway, um, they got talking to a hen party that was there. And the hen said to the stag, I know you from somewhere. I've definitely seen you before. I've heard of you. So it turns out he's her wedding band. He's the main singer in her wedding band. No. <laughs> and he was on his stag and she was on her hen. So, you know, there's so many stories. I love um, coincidences. I mean, I really yeah, do believe there's absolutely. no such thing as a coincidence. I think that just, they just really bring everything, every experience in the world, they bring it more to life. I think when you have a great, and, and the Irish are great for, for meeting up like that and having coincidences. Yeah, for, for telling stories and, and songs. And, and that's what it's about. And I think the four pubs that, that I had picked as well, they'd, they'd lend themselves very much towards welcoming crowds and are welcoming, you know, groups like that and, you know, engaging with them and having the crack with them and, oh and it'll be great it'll be great to get back to normal you know we really we really our, our culture has it, it is phenomenal and we've been hit very hard with all this lockdown yeah abso- absolutely we're craving to get back to this to this yeah we, we, without, with, conversation with, you know yeah without a doubt michelle because that's so, that's our nature you know we're, sure we're, we're all born with that gene and you know we like to tell stories we like to entertain each other and that's important and then I guess after that then I saw an opportunity in the Iron Islands to do something similar and um, I always loved going to Nishir since you know since I was young it was even though it's only across the bay it just felt like you you were you were away almost on a foreign holiday so I kind of uh, launched a tour there and that became very popular because what we used to do and still do is we'd fly across to Nishir and of course people you know going on that small little plane for the first time was an experience in itself and in a year it's only three miles by mile and a half so we could do a tour of the island visit the three pubs etc so from that then michelle i kind of um developed a new product or a new offering i developed a couple of experiences uh, where it was a full-on day where they'd be immersed really in meeting local people so whether it was a food producer or um, somebody that did a dining experience in their own private home, or or a saying out in a shear that 
teaches people about the history, culture of the islanders. And then they actually, they partake in a workshop where they make a Bridget's Cross from willow grown on the island. So it's a very, you know, immersive kind of personal, personally led by myself. And they're away from the crowds, you know, they're away that, from that, the, that sounds the, lovely. It's a it's a unique experience then. And it's something that the domestic market, I think, is looking for as well, because people are rediscovering Ireland, looking for something unique. This might be a nice memory for people as well who had been to Irish college in their youth and to return now with their families to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. And even even. Uh, you know, going back to the, the pub tours and we'll say the hens and stags, the majority of them would have been in the Gaelic before and they'd say, oh, are we going to Cairo? You know, because they'd remember Cairo or are we going to Lettermullen or, you know, are we going to Camus or wherever they were? So it would bring them back to those days, you know, even though it might have been only 10 years ago, but it just, there was an association there always with the Gaelic and with the Irish language. So I guess it was from that, Michelle, then that, that I saw this opportunity to create something in addition to the Connemara pub tours. So, so that's why I'm launching Secret Connemara. And that's going to be very much targeting um, people that want that personal kind of guided experience, a, a kind of a no-brainer where, you know, the day, they kind of plan the day, they can pick the activity that they'd like to do, but I package it then. And, you know, I, I lead it with them. So as yeah, they just I, saw, I, saw, I saw a lovely video um, of, of you with uh, some people on the Aran Islands eating lobster and lovely um, local food produce. You know, is that where you see travel going in the future? Definitely. And I can see as well with there was there was a. A growing, I suppose, there was a growing market there in terms of, or a developing market in terms of the small group tours. You know, I could see that happening in 2018 and 19, where, you know, multi-generational families were, were traveling together from the States. So it might have been, I remember a couple of these groups that I did, where it might have been a grandmother, son, daughter, and then the grandkids, you know, all maybe teenagers or in their 20s. And they, they might be doing a six-day, seven-day, or an eight-day trip to to Ireland and they're traveling together and I guess now with with COVID and you know hopefully post-COVID soon um, this will be more important because people will want to feel that they're safe they're traveling in their own kind of bubble and um, you know they're not uh, traveling the country with maybe 40 other people that they you know didn't know before they arrived at JFK or or Los Angeles or wherever. I, I, I do believe that could be, yeah, I do, do think that's coming on board and that's going to be the, the more popular way of experiencing tourism and it's going, and, and it's better for sustainability too, probably. Um, yeah. And just with regard to um, what's happening in the area, I believe there's a seaweed museum. Is that, is that There correct? is indeed, yeah. This was a new project that unfortunately just kind of came about when when COVID, it, it would have, I suppose, would have been the first full season uh, 2020. And it was uh, a project backed by Falch Ireland and Uzras Ngailtata. And it was the first dedicated museum to seaweed and the production and harvesting of seaweed. And, you know, as, as, as some of your listeners might know, seaweed is now the superfood, but it's also, it's such a natural resource that we have in abundance around the coasts of Ireland. And uh, they, they developed this centre, which kind of tells the story of the hand harvesting of seaweed and its uses, uh, you know, in the cosmetics area and the in medicinal 
for medicinal purposes and also as food. And that's huge. And even here now in Connemara, we have two um, we have two uh, companies, Connemara Organic Seaweed that produce gr- brilliant products. And also out on Inishmoor, you have the, the fabulous story of Dave, who's a native of New Zealand, who married Jenny from Inishmoor, whose father started this hand harvesting seaweed business. They moved back from New Zealand. They're raising their kids on the island and they've developed a range of pâtés, pestos and other seaweed uh, produce um, in the food sector. And that's 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 a great story. in itself. Fabulous. fabulous. And that goes really nicely with oysters, all these lovely seaweedy products are beautiful with seafood then yeah you know, absolutely so there's a whole culinary absolutely. experience that goes with Col- culinary experience and for seasoning you know for using in pastas you know for using in salads you know as a seasoning as a replacement to salt because it contains natural salt anyway and um, yeah too. so so the museum then i uh, i believe for this year and hopefully there'll be we'll have we'll have some sort of season in the summer they have also uh, introduced a kind of a spa element to it whereby you can soak yourself in natural seaweed baths while looking out on Inishmore, on the on galway bay or on the atlantic ocean in the distance and uh, use your steam therapies and the other stuff that you would associate with baths that sounds absolutely blissful, Porrick. It sounds great. I can't wait to go down and, and have yeah. a look at it myself because I'm so fond of your part of the country. Um, so people can get in touch with you by uh, info at Connemara Pub Tours. At the moment, right? it's info at connemarapubtours.ie. And uh, as I said, uh, once kind of restrictions are lifted, uh, we'll be back in operation again. Yeah, Sorry, what I've been doing is I, I've been doing a couple of virtual on location fam trips. And for example, uh, there's a great little centre in Karna, which is another Gaeltacht. Uh, I suppose it's as they call it, Connemara Lor, which is kind of middle part of Connemara. And it's 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 located in the village of Karna. And it tells the story of immigration and the amount of people that immigrated from here. So what we did is we did a food experience relating to immigration. And, you know, there was a great story, for example, of Irish immigrants going to Chicago or Boston or New York, and they take the salted ras fish because salted ras fish was a huge part and still is. Uh, of people's diets here in Connemara and you know that story around the lobster the scallops and that's another thing actually that is worth mentioning we had our first ever festival here in Lettermullen and Carnet dedicated to scallops uh, in 2019 and it's hoped to bring that back again at the end of this year around Christmas time and it's the only one of its kind that's dedicated to scallops and of course like the best chefs in the country what you can do with scallops is just amazing and they're such a tasty uh, delicacy so scallops. that's another thing that we look forward to doing in, in the future. Oh, you've got a lot lined up. Porik, I can't wait to get down there. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I'm really looking forward to, to telling everybody about it. And um, very best of luck with it. Pamela Foster with Michelle Gormagat. Gormagat. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do tell your friends to tune in. It's nice to talk and think about travel and we all need something to look forward to, especially at this time. You can follow my travel advice on thenoveltraveller.com and find out more about me on michellewalshjackson.com. So ciao for now and I'll leave you with Pat Coldrick and Oreo Sunrise.